Today, I'm going to be preaching on true belief. We're going to take a high-altitude look at um, John chapters 3 and 4. Of course, there's value in digging in deep, doing verse-by-verse analysis. No question in that. But there's also value in pulling up and doing a survey, taking a large section of Scripture and looking at that and seeing God's hand move in there as well. And so today, John chapter 3, we're going to look at a conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. Then in John chapter 4, we're going to look at the conversation he had with the Samaritan woman. Now these people are polar opposite people in the Jewish world. And we're going to kind of unpack some of that. But there were some similarities that these people had as well. And the biggest similarity was the message that Jesus was bringing to them about true belief. And as we unpack that today, we're going to see that true belief can be hindered with spiritual pride and legalism. We'll see that from one of the conversations. From the other conversations, we'll see that True belief can be attained by heeding the words of Christ. Before we jump into the text, and the first one will be in John 3, when we take a look at Nicodemus, I want to do a couple of quick reminders about the book of John. John was the last of the four written Gospels. It was after Peter's death and after the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD that John wrote his book. John's focus was on the life and message of Christ. John's one of the only Gospels that actually has a theme statement. In the second to last chapter, last verse, verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 20, verse 31, he says, These things I have written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you may have life in His name. So all of John was written with that purpose. John was very specific. Of the hundreds of miracles that Christ did, he chose seven to talk about in his book. He also focused on just a handful of conversations, two that we're going to look at today, and those exchanges. Because his, again, his focus was that you might believe in Christ. So right in line with that, we're going to look at these two uh, conversations as I said, they were polar opposites, but there was just a handful of similarities that they had as well. Both of these people were unbelievers. Both had a conversation that when it started with Christ, Christ was using a something in the physical world to explain a spiritual truth, and they didn't get it. Both eventually did catch on, but the exchanges went very different directions. One walked away an unbeliever. The other, the scales fell off their eyes. They saw Christ and were saved. Beyond those similarities, though, I want to take a look at how they were different. First, Nicodemus. Just a quick background on Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a devoutly religious man. He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was that small group of men that were the rulers over all of um, Judea. He was an expert in the entire Old Testament. And what I mean by expert, we are going to see he was the teacher of teachers. 
He was the top teacher in Israel. He knew the Old Testament very thoroughly and had large sections of the Old Testament memorized. So he was an expert in Old Testament, top theologian. When he first approached Christ, the first words out of his, out of his mouth recognized that Christ, that Jesus, that God was with him. And that he was sent by God. He is wealthy, and he is part of the social elite there in Jerusalem. Now, by way of contrast, the woman, she was a peasant woman. She was a Samaritan. She was uneducated, immoral. When she first met Jesus, she had no clue who he was. She was the lowest of lows in society. And we're going to unpack a little bit of that as to why she was considered so low. So with that background, let's open to John chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. And we'll take a look at this conversation that Jesus had directly with Nicodemus. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. This is in verse 1. A ruler of the Jews... This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Now that is actually kind of a bit of a surprising statement from Nicodemus. As I said, he was the teacher of teachers. And to be a rabbi, to be recognized as a rabbi, There was a tremendous amount of structure. There was education. There was mentorship that you had, deep testing, vast amount of scripture that you needed to know. There was a lot of structure to be considered a rabbi. Jesus didn't do any of that. Jesus never went to one of their schools. Jesus never met with one of them for them, for him to be taught. So for the teacher of teachers to come and say, we realize you are a rabbi is a little surprising. Just as surprising is the fact that he says, we see God is with you. Now, obvious, all the miracles show God moving through Jesus. But for Nicodemus to say that, it shows that Nicodemus saw value in Christ's opinion, what Christ thought. He he has Christ elevated in a high level in his own mind. Christ kind of cuts Nicodemus off in the conversation. Nicodemus recognizes him, says these things. Christ, knowing all of this, of course, and knowing the heart of Nicodemus, jumps right in, verse 3, and says, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he's old? He He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb, can he? Now, this is also a little surprising on the other side. Nicodemus, as we said, Old Testament scholar, he should have picked up on that imagery. Now, I don't know if he just didn't go by Starbucks on the way to Jesus that night and got a little caffeine. Maybe he was expecting to go a different way in the conversation and Jesus cut him off. Is he just confused or does he really not understand? We really don't know. 
So Jesus is going to elevate the language, the imagery, and the, and, and the um, references into the Old Testament. Jesus says to him, starting again in verse 5, Truly I say to you, unless a man is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That is what, that is, that is which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not, you do not know where it comes and where it is going. So everyone who is born of the spirit, so is everyone who is born of the spirit. The imagery that Christ uses of water, flesh to flesh, spirit to spirit, is unmistakable to this Old Testament scholar. These are references right out of Job, Ezekiel, many other places. He knows exactly what Christ is saying to him. Nicodemus says, verse 9, how can these things be? Which is a surprise. Jesus answered him saying, Aren't you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? It's obvious. This proud Pharisee, he's self-righteous. See, he's a prominent leader of his people. There's no way in his mind that he could be in spiritual darkness. There's no way in his mind that he needs a Savior. Nicodemus is convinced that he could save himself. Coming to Jesus, he wasn't really coming to Jesus to ask anything. He was really coming to Jesus to verify that his own self-righteousness, that his own rituals would elevate him and be saved. Nicodemus is just upset and rigid. And so my first point this morning is true belief. We can see that Nicodemus is the perfect illustration that if you have spiritual pride, if you have self-sufficiency, and you have a legalistic view, that is going to avoid you, avoid you, it's going to avoid you from seeing true belief. You're going to miss it. You know, like many people today, Nicodemus, he was educated, he was smart, he knew the world, he was a moral man, he was a spiritual man. But like Pastor Cliff says, he's convinced that if his goody pile is bigger than his baddie pile, that's going to save him in God's eyes. I wonder, how, how in the world can this happen? How can a man who knows the Old Testament so well, the verses are going to come right off his lips, how can he miss the Messiah standing right in front of him? Apostle Paul answers that for us. 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul says, A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolish to him. These things that Nicodemus is saying, how can these things be? They're foolishness to him. The words that Christ is speaking. 
Romans 1.18 The unrighteousness of men suppress the truth. And that's the outcome. For Nicodemus, it's actually it's heartbreaking. Christ is looking at him in his eyes. This is the man, if anyone should recognize who he was as the Messiah, this man should be it. Instead, he rejects Jesus' message, he refuses to believe, and he suppresses the truth. Now, picking up with the text, Jesus is not done telling Nicodemus what he wants him to hear. The next few verses, Jesus is going to give Nicodemus the full gospel. He is actually intellectually going to challenge him and pour, pour it on. Picking up in verse 11, he says, Truly I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so even the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Like I just said, he elevates, he pours on so much imagery and so much reference into the Old Testament, it has got to be overflowing for Nicodemus. Now, the next words that are going to be uttered from Christ's mouth. Probably the most famous verses of the Bible. Tim Tebow writes them on his cheeks. They're posted in the end zone of every football stadium and soccer stadium, it seems like. It's one of the verse teach, one of the first verses we teach our kids. Jesus looks at him and says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, whomsoever shall believe in Him will have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into this world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Again, more reference into the Old Testament. Jesus finishes this exchange with Him. Again, like I said, pouring it on, talking about imageries of, of imagery of light and darkness, truth and evil. But Nicodemus goes away unrepentant, unsaved. Nicodemus is in the perfect position to see the harmony of the Old Testament and the revelation of the Messiah. But his proud heart refuses. Something that should be so obvious, he walks away. He looked at the Savior and he walked away. So that was the outcome. That was the conversation, the outcome with Nicodemus. Let's take a few minutes and look at the Samaritan woman. Now before I actually jump into John chapter 4, and you can turn there, cross the page, we'll be starting in verse 3. Before I get there, let's talk a little bit about some of these comparison and contrasts and why they're so important and why John had this and the Holy Spirit had it providentially written side by side. Um, the first big difference is that one is a man and one is a woman. Now I realize in our culture, in this politically correct environment, kind of 
feminist leaning by just me saying that the difference is a man and a woman kind of gets the hair on the back of the neck raised by many of those in our population, in our culture. But that's not the reason. I mean, the difference between man and woman is important. But the reason it is because Christ was speaking to a woman in public. See, unlike our culture today where it's all about equality and some other things, it was steeped in Jewish culture. It was steeped in their laws that a rabbi does not speak to a woman in public. Now, the Pharisees had turned Jesus' laws, God's laws on the ear. That was never the intent. I mean, these guys, they couldn't talk to their own wife in public. They couldn't talk to their own sister. They couldn't talk to their own daughter in public. It was kind of crazy. In fact, there's a whole group of them that were really ridiculous. They called themselves the bloody and bruised Pharisees. Because their idea was, well, if I can't talk to them, maybe I shouldn't see them either. And they covered their eyes when they walked in public. These guys are nuts. (laughs) They're, They're called the bloody and bruised because they fell over and they tripped over and they bumped into things. All because they thought that made them more holy. I mean, how crazy is that? So anyway, that that is the difference. He spoke to the top teacher, a man, and now he's going to go speak to a woman. And that is the big <gasps> in Scripture. Rabbis don't speak to women in public. The next big difference was Jew versus Samaritan. Now, you kind of ask the question sometimes, well, wait a minute. I mean, aren't these all the children of Abraham? Aren't these all the children of God? Well, yes. And no. You see, the Jewish people were very strict on the purity of bloodline. And one of these had kept a pure bloodline and the other one did not. For us the great American melting pot. If you're 132nd Native American, you've got tribal rights. I read a story last year, a girl applying to college. She's 2% Asian. She marked Asian on her application. She not only got accepted, but got a scholarship. So our culture, purity of bloodline, I think it might be a little hard for us to relate to that and to really understand that the way it was in the first century. Now this blood feud, as I call it, started a thousand years before. So just to give a quick little background, 722 B.C., I should step back, a thousand years, uh, King Solomon's reign comes to an end. Israel starts to break up. There's three sections. In Jesus' day, there's three sections. Galilee is in the north. We have um, Samaria in the middle. Judea in the south. In 722, the Samaritans get overthrown by the Assyrians. They start to intermarry. They start to mix religions as well. This is a huge problem 
for the Jewish people. See, if you intermarried in the Jewish religion, it was required of you as a family member to excommunicate that member. They actually held funerals for those people. That child that intermarried and walked away, they are dead to you. It was a sin against God, against Israel, against the family. So when the Samaritans get overthrown and start intermarrying, the Judeans of the south, they're like, you're gone. A hundred years later, the Judeans get overthrown by Babylon. But they don't intermarry. They keep their bloodlines pure. When Ezra and Nehemiah come back to build the temple, Samaritans are like, hey, you guys want some help? And they're like, no, you're no longer Jewish. You can't help. You forsook God. In fact, they are considered below the Gentiles because once you were part of God's people and now you're not, you forsook God. The Gentiles don't know anything. You do. You're lower than the Gentiles. Now, eventually, Samaritans got their act together. They got rid of all that other religion. They came back to God, but it still wasn't good enough for the people in Judah. So going back to John chapter 3 and 4, the important part is why Jew and Samaritan? It's It's not because, oh, they have a joint heritage and they're just a little upset with each other. This blood feud had been going on for a thousand years. They did not like each other at all. And they viewed, the Jews viewed Samaritans as the lowest of lows. In fact, when they wanted to insult Christ, they would call him a Samaritan. Anyway, going back to John 3 and 4, Christ, of course, knows all this history. And as we get into the text here in just a minute, we're going to see... God wanting to reach out to the Samaritan woman. It is his will for Christ to do so. And it's also the time, God's will, to start breaking down these barriers, transcend these nationalities, break up all of this orthodoxy and Jewish custom, and bring the message of salvation to the world. So we've seen the the conversation with Nicodemus. Let's get into the conversation with this lowliest of lows, in the Jewish culture, this woman. Let's get into John chapter 4, verse 3, and I'll read. He, Jesus, left Judea, went away to Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being weary, being weary of his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour of the day. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. She said, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is who was saying, who says to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would have given you living water. She says to him, Sir, you have done nothing, sir, you have nothing to draw with, 
and, and the well is deep, where do you get living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank, for, drank of it himself and his sons and cattle? Jesus answered her and said, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water I will give shall I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well spring of eternal up a well springing up to eternal life. The woman said, "Sir, give me this water so I will not thirst nor come all the way to draw to draw water." A lot of verses there just to get to the same point as Nicodemus. We, we're having this exchange back and forth. Christ is taking a physical thing, trying to move it to the spiritual world. She ain't getting it. So what does Christ do? He cuts off that part of the conversation and goes right to confronting her sin. He says, go call your husband and come here. The woman answers, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, You have said correctly, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. This this you have truly said. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So she gets it. She's jumped into the spiritual conversation. Now, more importantly, she didn't say, Sir, I perceive you're a rabbi, a teacher. She said, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet, which means you speak for God. That's active. That's right now. That's not, oh, you're a teacher and you have some spiritual insight to give me. That is, I see that you are speaking from God. If you noticed, when he confronted her on her sin, she didn't back away. She didn't have anything to say. She humbly accepted it. And then she asks what is actually a very deep question for the time. Verse 20, Our fathers worship in this mountain, and you people say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. This peasant woman of ill repute, she's, she's a peasant, but she's, and, and formerly uneducated, but she knows the blood feud. And she knows one of the foundational core issues of Samaria and Jew is where do you worship? That's been an issue for a long time. So she asks a very sincere and important question. Jesus says to her woman, believe me, An hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. 
He was called Christ. And when the one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. My translation is not the best. The best translation says, I am the one speaking to you. You see, I am, which is the, the, the accurate, the accurate interpretation from the Greek, saying I am the one who speaks to you. I am is the name of God. That's how God identified himself to Moses. And for a woman who studied the Torah only, which is one of the, one of the big differences that the Samaritans had with the Jews, the Samaritans only studied the Torah and rejected the rest of all the Bible literature. So for her to hear the man standing in front of you say, when she said, I know the Messiah is coming, and he says, I am, that is a clarifying moment. Unlike Nicodemus, where Nicodemus says, I, Nicodemus, Christ says to him, I tell you earthly things and you do not believe. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? He didn't get it, but she did. The second part of this slide. The woman heard and had true belief. When she was confronted with her sin, she humbly accepted it. When Jesus gave and explained spiritual truth, she submitted. The outcome? Salvation. She was saved. And she evangelized her entire village. How do we know? Let's skip down to verse 39. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed believed in him. Because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed for two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said we believe, for we have heard ourselves and know this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Amen? Wow, that bears repeating. This one is the Savior of the world. Compare and contrast. The Samaritan woman looked at Jesus and saw the Messiah. Experienced true belief. Nicodemus got frustrated because he didn't hear what he wanted to hear. And he rejected, refused, and suppressed the truth. My question is, where are you? Where are you? In wrapping up today, I want to talk about how faith happens. You know, being the youth guy, we get into deep spiritual discussions and you get a lot of hows and whys. How does that happen? How? Actually, as I think about it, they're asking, they're always asking how and why. How is Batman more powerful than Superman? Why does the Big Mac cost so much? So, I'm sorry kids, I don't mean to <laughs> give you a hard time, but 
I guess for the teenager and all of us, I, I've spoken with people and they just, they, they look, they've looked at this and they say, well, h- how do you, how do you just believe? I mean, how does that woman just believe? How does that happen? Next slide I want to go through. Just five quick points. A handful of things that if you realize and know, you will experience true belief. First of all, God made us. God made each of us. Psalm 139.13 says, You formed my inner parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. He made us. He chose the time that we would be in history. He chose the number of days that we would have. God made us and is in control of all. Second one, God cares and loves for us. John 3.16 said it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Romans 5.8 God demonstrates His own love for us. While we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. So He created a path of salvation and redemption. And if you call on His name and you repent of your sins, just as the woman did, you will be saved. But the supernatural part is the next part. The actual belief. See, we can't do that on ourselves. And I think that's sometimes hard to explain to people. It's nothing we can muster up. God gives us the ability to believe. Tim read it for us this morning. I'm going to look at verse 4, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 10. When he looked at the Samaritan woman and said, If you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God and me standing here, if you knew that I was the Messiah and that what I'm bringing to you, that gift is the ability to believe. God gives us the ability to believe. Tim read it for us this morning, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself, it is a gift of God. The ability to believe is unexplainable by us. We can't explain it. It comes from Him. And God also reaches out to us. And we can call on Him. This is important. When I say God reaches out to us, I'm not talking about, oh, I went to the ocean and I was watching the waves in nature. You know, I stared at a flower for an hour and I saw God. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Romans 10:17, Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That day, the Word of God, Jesus in flesh, was with that woman. It was God's will for Him to be there at that time offering her that gift of salvation, that gift of faith. Look look with me to verses 3 and 4. He left Judea and went away into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, he didn't have to pass through Samaria because there's some geological formation, and that was the only way to go through. In fact, 
some of the most self-righteous Jews, they, they went around Samaria. They had two different paths to go around Samaria. <clears throat> it was a divine appointment. What John is re- actually saying, the word di is translated several ways. It, it, it's the word had, but it can also be the word required to or needed to. Some of your translations might even read, he left Judea and went, went, again, went away again into Galilee. He was required to go through Samaria. See, at that moment, it was the will of the Father to reach out to that Samaritan woman. That lowliest of lows, that incredibly sin-filled woman the, from a people who once rejected God, Despite all of that, despite her sin, the holy God of the universe cares for her, loves her. And it was Jesus' duty at that time and at that moment to go to her and offer her the gift of faith so that she can be saved. We can't do it. The gift comes from God. And it comes from the Word of God, that Bible. The Bible, hearing and reading the Bible is what opens your heart to the Word of God. And we can call on Him. John 6, 37 and 38, Romans 10, 13 tell us, anyone who calls in the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. We can turn and call on Him. Receive that gift. He gives us the gift of faith. He reaches out. We can call on Him. It's a supernatural transaction that, quite frankly, is easiest explained as the woman said, I just, I believe. And very hard to explain sometimes to those who don't. There are two people in this room right now. Those that have accepted the gift of faith, who truly believe, who have repented from their sins and given their life to God. I'm hoping some of you are fondly thinking back to when that happened and that day. The second group have not. Some of you may be like Nicodemus. Stubborn. Thinking that there's another path. Thinking that Your goody pile is going to be better than your baddie pile. Maybe you believe in some man-made lie. But God loves you. God created you. God cares for you. And just as Jesus came to that well that day to offer a gift of faith, He is here today offering you that gift of faith. He's reaching out to you today just as he reached out to that Samaritan woman. And that last slide, the question will be, are you going to be held up by spiritual pride and legalism? Or are you going to humbly heed the words that Christ spoke to the woman and see the Messiah just as she did? Let me close in prayer. Father, true belief is a gift from you, we know. 
We witnessed it today from the Samaritan woman. And if we humbly accept and acknowledge and repent of our sins, you will give us that living water, that wellspring that will come up inside of us of eternal life. There may be those here today that believe there's another path. Father, I just ask for you to move on their hearts. Move on their hearts this morning. Open their eyes. Let the scales fall off just as they did for that Samaritan woman. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to you except through him. And lastly, Father, we know from Matthew 7 that in the judgment time, there will be many of those that say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, Jesus will say, I I never knew you. Those are people like Nicodemus was who thought there was a different path or that his good works would get him there. I ask, Father, that anyone who's struggling or thinking that way, you will move on their hearts and lead them to your gift just as that Samaritan woman did 2,000 years ago. All this... In your son's name we pray. Amen.